0: piano from Mr. Surface and a little drum beat from one of his students. What a way to kick off the best podcast ever recorded by human beings. Now, if you could, we are going to get into it today with one of my absolute very favorite books of all time, learning how to learn how to succeed in school without spending all your time studying a guide for kids and teens by Barbara Oakley, Ph.D., Terence Sinowski, Ph.D., and Alistair McConville. All right. Absolutely wonderful, wonderful resource for anyone who has to learn things. And that's you and all of us, right? I have to learn new things every year. Um, and every year it's a lot. So we're going to listen to chapters one and two today. But as we go on and on and on, we are going to read more and more and more because the information is just so valuable and so on point. Okay, so we're going to start with chapter one. Um, occasionally, there will be a chapter, uh, a chapter or two that I skip. That's all right. That's all right because I only want you to have the ones that I think are most relevant to you, and some of them are. Uh, Her sort of telling her story about how she learned, and and those parts I'm going to skip over, and you can enjoy if you just get the book on your own sometime. All right, but let's start with chapter one. All right, Uh, it is called Learning How to
1: Learn. This is Audible. Dreamscape presents Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying by Barbara Oakley, PhD, and Terence Sainowski, PhD, with Alistair McConville, narrated by Laurel Merlington. A note to parents and teachers. Welcome to our book. You're helping a younger person to learn more effectively, which means we're already on the same team. Some of the ideas in this book were discussed in Barb's best-selling A Mind for Numbers. Many readers felt that the ideas were so simple and so practically useful that they should be shared with younger audiences. And we have heard from thousands of people that these ideas are useful for learning all subjects, not just math. So this book is intended for tweens and teens, although adults will also find a treasure trove of new and practical ideas here. Understanding just a little bit about how the brain works can make learning more fun and less frustrating. There are several ways to use this book. Some young adults may wish to read it on their own. They can talk with their friends about the key ideas to help cement them in their minds. Some young adults and adults may be tempted to skim through the book, thinking they'll get everything if they just read it from cover to cover. Nothing could be further from the truth active involvement is key the exercises are helpful only if they are completed the book is best read with a notebook at the side to take notes answer questions and make doodles with key insights with young skimmers the more an adult can dip in question and interact the more will be gained if you are a parent or grandparent aunt or uncle We suggest that your young person might read the book out loud to you. Generally, a half hour of reading at a stretch is a good length. Younger children may read for a shorter time. Reading aloud is a fun adventure where you can learn together as a family. If you are a teacher, you may wish to read the book together with your students, or you may have a silent reading period followed by a shared discussion. You will find that this book gives you a shared vocabulary to help you teach other subjects. Younger is better when it comes to learning about learning, as it allows for more years to use the tools. It also opens doors for the great new careers that are emerging with modern-day changes. Thanks for joining us on this learning adventure. Let's dive in. Barb Oakley, Terry Sinowski, and Al McConville. Chapter one, the problem with passion. Hi, my name's Barb. Great to meet you. I have a secret. When I was growing up, I was sometimes a terrible student. Sure, I was fine in subjects I liked, but otherwise, forget it. Everybody told me to follow my passion. I figured that meant do what you like not what you don't like. That sounded like good advice to me. I hated math and science, so I avoided those subjects as if they were poison. When I had to take those courses, I did badly, or I just plain failed. I'm now a professor of engineering. Surprised? Engineers need a deep knowledge of math and science. I'm now really good at math and science, and I love them. How did I do it? I discovered the secrets of learning well. This is a book about how to become a successful learner. It's written for tweens and teens, but the lessons in it apply to everyone and they relate to all kinds of learning. Whether you are interested in soccer, better known as football around the world, math, dance, chemistry, riding a unicycle, learning another language, getting better at video games, or understanding the physics of how a ball bounces. This book is for you. Brains are amazing. They're the most sophisticated gadgets in the universe. They change their structure depending on what you do with them. Pretty much anyone can do well in any subject if they know more about learning. Your brain is more powerful than you think. You just need to know how to turn on that power. There are simple tricks that can improve your learning, whether you're already a good student or not so good. These tricks can also make your learning more fun. For example, you're going to meet a few zombies in this book, but don't worry. They're mostly friendly ones who want to help you learn. I wrote this book with Professor Terry Sinowski. Terry knows a lot about brain science, that is neuroscience. Terry's an expert when it comes to learning. He works with other neuroscientists who are helping us to learn better. Professors from other areas like psychology and education are also discovering a lot about how we learn. Psychology is the science of why we think and behave the way we do. Some jokers like to say that psychology is a science that tells you what you already know using words you cannot understand. Psychology does indeed use some big words for important ideas. We'll try to translate them for you in this book. Terry and I want to share lessons from all of these areas. We want to help improve your ability to learn. The lessons backed by science in this book are coming from both Terry and me. Alistair McConville is also an important part of our author team. He has many years of experience teaching young people, so he helped us make our writing less formal and easier to understand. Terry and I know it's possible to improve your learning abilities. How do we know? We teach the largest massive open online course, MOOC, in the world. It's called Learning How to Learn. We have had millions of students. Through this course, We have seen all sorts of people make big improvements in their learning skills. It's not a surprise that the course helps. It's based on the best of what we know from research about how we learn. So we know it works. Even great students can improve their ability to learn. So can those who are not there yet. The techniques and lessons we're going to teach you won't necessarily make learning super easy but they will leave you with more time to do the things you like, whether it's video games, soccer, watching YouTube, or just hanging out with friends. In fact, you can use these ideas to improve your ability to play soccer and video games. Learning how to learn will make your years in school more fun and less frustrating, will give you powerful tools to improve your memory, to get your work done more quickly, And to help you become an expert at whatever subjects you choose, you'll discover fantastic and inspiring insights. For example, if learning is slow and hard for you, you actually have special advantages in the creativity department. Learning how to learn does something more though. It opens whole horizons for your future. The working world of the future needs creative people who have many different talents we're here to help you develop the many talents and the creativity that lie within you jump ahead if you'd like if you want to get straight to the tips on how best to learn jump now to the now you try section at the end of this chapter but if you'd like to learn more about barb's past and how she changed her brain to learn better. Keep listening.
0: No, Barb, you'll I, get to go we, we with don't her want to, to know the that. South
1: Pole Antarctica. We don't
0: want to go to South Pole and Antarctica, Barb. Ter- we don't want to do that. But we're going to go straight to chapter three and get into focus versus diffuse learning. Absolutely crucial. Crucial. Here we go. Chapter two.
1: Easy does it. Why trying too hard can sometimes be part of the problem. Has your teacher or your mom or dad ever told you to pay attention or to focus? Yes. You've probably told yourself to do it. Yes. That's because it's easy to become distracted. Sometimes whatever is going on outside the window seems more interesting than what's right in front of you. You can't help but think ahead to things like friends or lunch. Getting distracted is always bad, right? Maybe not. Let's see. Picture a chess game with a young boy on the left and he's playing against a guy on the right. The boy is standing, looking away from the guy. The boy's rude, isn't he? Typical 13 year old, no concentration. Ever heard adults say things like that? They usually blame it on smartphones. 13 year old Magnus Carlson and legendary chess genius, Gary Kasparov playing speed chess at the Reykjavik rapid in 2004. Kasparov was surprised that Magnus wandered off looking at other games. Gary Kasparov is one of the greatest chess players of all time. Magnus is not concentrating so he must have no chance of winning, right? Amazingly, Kasparov didn't win the chess match. It was a tie. The world's best chess player couldn't defeat what appeared to be a hopelessly distracted 13-year-old. Surprise! Sometimes we need to lose concentration so we can think more clearly. Zoning out occasionally, not all the time, can be useful when you're learning or problem solving. Magnus returned to the table and focused on the game again. He had taken a little break so he could focus better when he returned. The message of this chapter is that sometimes you need to be less focused in order to become a better learner. How can that be? You've got two ways of thinking. In the last chapter, I mentioned the word neuroscience, the science of the brain. Neuroscientists use new brain scanning technology to look inside the brain and understand it better. Neuroscientists have discovered that your brain works in two different ways. We'll call these two ways of working, the focused mode and the diffuse mode. The word diffuse means spread out thinly. Both modes are important in helping you to learn. Focused mode. When you're using your focused mode, it means that you're paying attention. For example, you might be trying to figure out a math problem, or you might be looking at and listening to your teacher. You focus when you're playing a video game, putting together a puzzle, or learning words from a different language. When you're focusing, you're putting specific parts of the brain to work which parts are working depends on what you're doing for example when you're doing multiplication problems focusing will use different parts of the brain than when you're speaking when you are trying to learn something new you must first focus intently on it in order to turn on those parts of the brain and get the learning process started diffuse mode If that's focused mode, what is diffuse mode? Diffuse mode is when your mind is relaxed and free. You're thinking about nothing in particular. You're in diffuse mode when you're daydreaming or doodling just for fun. If your teacher tells you to concentrate, you have probably slipped into diffuse mode. When you're in diffuse mode, You're gently using other parts of the brain that are mostly different from the parts you use when you are focusing. The diffuse mode helps you make imaginative connections between ideas. Creativity often seems to pop out of using the diffuse mode. It turns out that your brain has to go back and forth between focused and diffuse modes in order to learn effectively. Let's play pinball. To better understand focused and diffuse modes, let's turn to a game called pinball. It's easy to play. You just pull back on a plunger. Once you let the plunger go, it hits a ball up onto a table. You score points as the ball bounces around on the rubber bumpers. Meanwhile, flashing lights and wacky sounds go off. You use the flippers on the lower portion of the table to keep the ball up and bouncing as long as possible. A pinball machine. You can find video games based on pinball. Even today, it's fun to play. Pinball tables are kind of like your brain. Their bumpers can be closer or farther apart, depending on the table. When the bumpers are close together, it's like your brain in focused mode. The ball bounces around rapidly in one small area before running out of energy and falling down. Imagine that your mental ball leaves a trail when it travels. That's like your focused mode. You make trails in your brain when you're focused. These trails are laid when you first learn something and begin to practice using it. For example, let's say you already know multiplication. If I asked you to work a multiplication problem, your thoughts would move along the same multiplication trails that had already been laid in your brain. The diffuse mode is different. In this mode, the table's bumpers are much farther apart. The thought ball travels much more broadly around the table, hitting fewer bumpers. Our brains act like both kinds of pinball machines. If we want to shift from thinking about the details to thinking freely about the bigger picture, we have to shift from focused to diffuse mode. You need two tables, but importantly, your brain can be in only one mode at a time. The zombie can't play with two machines at once. Here's a fun way to get a sense of the difference between the two modes. The focused mode, eyes on the prize. The diffuse mode, eyes on the flies. Switching between focused and diffuse modes. If switching between modes is so important, how do we do it? Well, if we want to focus on something, it's easy. As soon as we make ourselves turn our attention to it, the focused mode is on. Your thought ball goes swooshing around on that table. Unfortunately, it's difficult to keep our attention on something for long periods of time. That's why we can sometimes fall into diffuse mode and begin daydreaming. Your mind stays in focused mode as long as you keep using the flippers. But when you let go of the flippers, your mind goes free. The ball drops down onto the diffuse table. Diffuse mode is when we're not focusing on anything in particular. You can enter diffuse mode by just letting go and not concentrating on anything. Going for a walk helps, or looking out a window from a bus, or taking a shower, or falling asleep. Many famous people have had great insights when the events of the day were sloshing around during sleep. It also seems that focusing on something else can take us temporarily into diffuse mode related to what we're not focusing on. When we focus on cuddling our dog, we're not focusing on the math problem. When we're focusing on someone else's chess game, we're not focused on our own chess game. This is why when you're stuck on a math problem, you can instead switch your focus to studying geography for a while. Then you can make a breakthrough when you return to the math, but it seems that the best ways to give your diffuse mode a chance to work out a difficult problem are through activities like sleeping, exercising, or going for a ride in a vehicle. Kids with ADHD sometimes like to imagine that their focused pinball table has a few extra holes in it. These holes offer a hidden advantage. They boost creativity. If you have ADHD, the extra holes also mean you need to work your mental flippers a little more often than other kids to keep your thought ball on the focused table. ADHD means attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Loosely, it means having challenges with paying attention and controlling impulses. All kids have this to some degree, but with ADHD, It's even more noticeable than usual. How do you work the flippers more? Participate as much as you can by asking questions, writing on the chalkboard, distributing activities among your partners, and working with them whenever you have an exercise together. Kids who have problems paying attention like to imagine that their focused mode has a few extra holes in it. This may mean they have to work their mental paddles harder to get the ball back up into the focused mode whenever it might fall out, but it also means they can naturally be very creative. Not a bad trade-off. Getting stuck. There are two ways you can get stuck when you're trying to solve a math or science problem, or when you're trying to learn something new, like how to play a chord on the guitar, or perform a specific move in soccer. The first way you can get stuck happens when you don't catch the initial explanation. Unfortunately, with this kind of stuck, going into diffuse mode won't be much use. You haven't loaded anything into your focused mode. Your best bet is to go back and look at the examples and explanations in your notes or the book, or ask the teacher to explain again or look on YouTube for an additional explanation, but don't let yourself get distracted by other videos. The second way you can get stuck is when you have studied or focused carefully. You've loaded the explanation into your focused mode, but as you begin to work the problem, play the chord or make the move, you still find yourself stuck. You grow more and more frustrated. Why can't you get it? The reason you get stuck is that you haven't given your brain's diffuse mode a chance to help out. The diffuse mode can't get going until you take your attention off what it's focused on. Like Magnus Carlsen, the chess player I mentioned earlier, sometimes you need to take a break in order to coax your brain's diffuse mode to come to the rescue. Get your mind away from the situation for a while. It opens up your access to the brain's diffuse mode. Alternatively, focus on something different. For example, if you're working on algebra, you could switch to studying geography. But keep in mind that your brain also needs a little rest sometimes. If there's something you tend to get stuck at, start with this subject when you are studying. That way you can go back and forth to your other classwork over the course of the afternoon and evening when you might find yourself getting stuck. You don't want to leave your hardest subject to the end when you are tired and have no time for diffuse learning. When you're in diffuse mode, your brain is working on the problem quietly in the background, although you're often not aware of it. The thought ball in your mind is whizzing around your diffuse mode table, and it can bump into the ideas you need to solve the problem. When you take a break, how long should it be? This depends on you and how much material you need to cover that day. Five or ten minutes is a good break time. Try not to make your breaks too long. You want to finish so you'll have part of the evening to relax. Important learning tip, don't jump to conclusions about whether or not new learning strategies work. Don't try switching just once between focused and diffuse modes while you're studying and then decide that it doesn't work for you. Sometimes you have to go back and forth several times between focused and diffuse to figure something out. You need to focus hard enough on trying to understand the material before you take a break. How long should you focus? As a rough guideline, if you find yourself stuck after at least 10 to 15 minutes of trying, maybe three to five minutes if you are younger, it may be time for a break. When you do take a break, you need to make sure it's long enough for you to get your mind completely off the material. How long it takes can depend on a lot of factors. For example, let's say you have to suddenly get up and give a 10-minute presentation in front of a group. Surprise! The excitement and sudden total focus on giving your talk can pull your mind completely off whatever you were working on before. When you return, even after being gone for just 10 or 15 minutes, you can find yourself looking with fresh eyes at whatever you were stuck on. But other times, even several hours isn't enough to really get your mind off it. In that case, a good sleep can work wonders. It's worth sticking it out and experimenting with the process. Going back and forth between focused and diffuse modes will help you to master virtually anything, whether it's geometry, algebra, psychology, basketball, guitar, chemistry, or any other subject or hobby you're interested in learning. Use these diffuse mode tools as rewards after focused mode work. General diffuse mode activators. Play a sport like soccer or basketball. Jog, walk, or swim. Dance. Enjoy being a passenger in a car or bus. Ride a bike. Draw or paint. Take a bath or shower. Listen to music, especially without words. Play songs you know well on a musical instrument. Meditate or pray. Sleep, the ultimate diffuse mode. The following diffuse mode activators are best used briefly as rewards. These activities may pull you into a more focused mode than the preceding activities. It can sometimes be a good idea to set a timer or they can eat up too much time. Play video games, talk to friends, help someone with a simple task, read a book, message friends, go see a movie if you have the time, watch TV. Summing it up, focused and diffuse modes. Our brains operate in two modes, focused and diffuse. You can think of them as pinball tables that have tightly packed bumpers and spread out bumpers. We need to alternate between these two modes to learn well. Shifting modes. You shift into focused mode by focusing. Grab those flippers on the pinball machine, but you have to let go and wait for the ball to drop on its own to get into the diffuse mode. The bed, the bath, the bus, and simply going for a walk are great ways to fall into the diffuse mode. To be a successful problem solver, focus first. We get stuck in problem solving when we don't first prepare our brain by focusing on the basics. Don't just dive into problem solving without studying the explanations first. You need to lay some basic trails on the focused pinball table. Take breaks to get new problem-solving perspectives. We can also get stuck on a difficult problem even when we've prepared properly. In that case, be a little like the chess-playing Magnus. Wander off for a while and see what else is going on. Take a break, but come back to the game or you'll lose for sure. You can choose to go into focused mode, but the diffuse mode is trickier to fall into. The bed, the bath and the bus, or simply walking are great ways to summon this more relaxed state of mind. Check your understanding. See how well the key ideas of this chapter have crept into your brain by writing down your answers to the following questions. When you're done. You can compare your answers with the ones at the end of the audiobook. You may think you can skip these questions, but if you do, you will begin to lose the benefits of this book. One, what does it mean to be in focused mode? Two, what is diffuse mode? And what are your favorite diffuse activities? Three, how does a pinball machine or two help you understand how your brain works Four. what is another metaphor for focused and diffuse modes five. What are the two different ways you can get stuck when you are solving a math and science problem? Six, what's the one study habit that you would change as a result of listening to this chapter? Did you do a picture walk yet of the next chapter? Did you try to answer a few end-of-chapter questions? Do you have a notebook out? Chapter 3.